Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. According to data provided by the World Health Organization, South Africa has one of the highest rates of teenage pregnancy globally, with nearly one in four girls falling pregnant before turning 20 years of age. Local evidence that the situation is alarming is latest adolescence pregnancy data from Stats SA that shows that 90,037 girls aged 10 to 19 years gave birth in the year March 2021 to April 2022 across the nine provinces in the country. So in 13 months, nearly 100,000 girls gave birth, all between the ages of 10 and 19 inclusive. The report then further revealed that of the almost 34,000 teenage pregnancy during 2020, 660 of those were girls under the age of 13. So it becomes layered. Now, of course, I've invited those of you who are pregnant to participate because what I really want to do is juxtapose the journey of two adults in a setup that speaks to development procreation in the positive sense versus what in the same context of pregnancy can and is a burden to society, or if burden is too strong a word, certainly a reflection of the country's social problems or socioeconomic challenges that manifest as a young person giving birth. But that is not the problem. It is something far greater, deeper, and less patent to the eye, but obviously has the kinds of desperate consequences that we are now having to engage. So let's have a conversation with Dr. Naz Daniels, member of the South African Society of Psychiatrists. Dr. Daniels, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to SAFM. We do appreciate you. Good evening, Sangeza. Thank you very much for having me on your show. I suppose as a clinician, this is not something that gives you any peace. It doesn't inspire any confidence about our society if of all the things that are not going right, one of those things that are not going right manifests in young people giving birth at that age, at that time where their own development is still taking place, or rather where their freedom really should be explored and expressed as your late teens. But unfortunately, with a baby in the mix, it changes the dynamic forever for everybody concerned. Your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, As you said, I represent the South African Society of Psychiatrists. So this week is Pregnancy Awareness Week, and we are particularly, given the alarming um, rates of teenage pregnancy in South Africa, are particularly wanting to shine a light on the the mental health impact um, of teenage pregnancy. Um, We know that women, all women during pregnancy are at high risk, higher risk of developing mental health symptoms. So one in three women will experience symptoms of mental illness during their pregnancy or in the postpartum period. And the rates are actually higher in um, teenage or adolescent pregnancies. And this is really, there are obviously many, many aspects to this, this, this problem we've identified, that's been identified. But what we particularly want to highlight is the impact on the mental health of these young young people um, and think about how we might uh, support them um, and, and how we might address this problem as a community. Is there something perhaps we should contemplate and consider, particularly from a mental health care perspective, as it 
affects young people who now undergo through what we are talking about, teenage pregnancy? Yeah, I think you highlighted some of the developmental concerns. Um, And then there is also the the sort of mental health burden, the the increase in actual mental illness. I think developmentally, adolescents uh, who are not having to consider pregnancy as part of their journey should be facing things like um, achieving their goals in terms of their education, thinking about their their journey in terms of their employment options. And the pregnancy absolutely impacts and potentially interrupts that journey. So I think it really is a description of the, the, the developmental path. And then on the other side, in terms of their own health, you know, the, 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 the burden of a pregnancy on a young person, but also then their mental health. So we know that the risk during pregnancy of things like depressed mood, of stress and anxiety, um, you know, sometimes feelings of desperation and even suicidal thoughts um, are higher in, in teenage pregnancies than in planned pregnancies, perhaps of older women. Um, the issue of unplanned pregnancy really is a problem because often um, young women don't then seek the appropriate antenatal care, which is important both for the pregnancy and the development of, of the baby, um, but also it's an important time during which we can identify and highlight any mental health problems. And then in the postpartum period, um, again, there's a higher risk of things like postnatal depression, um, anxiety. And what we're very aware of as psychiatrists is the impact not just on the, the mother or the parent uh, when there is a, a mental health problem in pregnancy or postpartum, but we now know that infant health is also impacted. So we talk a lot about this concept of attachment that for an infant to develop um, optimally in terms of their own psychological development and, and future psychological well-being, it's important to have a healthy attachment. And if you have a mother who is under a lot of stress or is is at higher risk of mental health problems, that disrupts that attachment. So I think we're looking not just at the impact of the teen who might be pregnant now, but further down the line, the impact on that baby and, and that baby's health and development. There's great impact for society all around, I would imagine, from what you have said. But can we talk, and I just want to draw in some of the points that would have come through in the conversation before because we were talking to the provincial manager, Gauteng provincial manager of Live Life, and we were talking about other things we were talking about in the management of HIV and AIDS. One of the problems is the power imbalance in society where you have those who socioeconomically have leverage as opposed to power. Yeah. And that leverage becomes power, but it's, it's, it's leverage, really. Access to finance, access to resources, access to information of the kind that, say, a young girl or a young woman might not be able to have. And as a way to gain access to that leverage, one almost has to present oneself physically for that and then attend it in that are all these healthcare challenges of the kind that HIV um, becomes a result of. I don't imagine that is too different, only the result here of moment and consequence is a baby similarly now the structure of power dynamics or relations in society have a profound impact in the statistic or in the issue that you and i are engaging what can you share in relation to insights to this problem or perhaps models that are beginning to yield some benefit because of the advocacy campaigns that are being conducted or just pure information from what I've said that you know to be true, and perhaps society would do well as much to recognize and know to be true? Yeah, look, I think in, in terms of, of 
if we're talking about power, I, I think we would talk strongly about empowerment and trying to empower um, our young people, perhaps initially through education. So I think that would be important in schools, but also in our, I suppose, in our communities and in societies, trying to educate um, young people about sex education, about access to contraception. And as you say, this, there's a lot of overlap here with HIV. Um, so I think that that's, that's incredibly important. Um, and then I think access. So um, one of the issues I think with adolescents is are there adolescent-friendly health services that people might be able to go to? And again, I think there is an imbalance here that often is a socioeconomic imbalance in terms of what is available to people. Um, and I think a concern as to how young people who are presenting for this information or this kind of assistance are, are treated um, and whether they are treated with empathy and support or whether people are um, stigmatized or, or, or judged. I think that is a real, a real problem. Uh, so I think that, that that conversation starts before the actual pregnancy around, you know, contraception and, and the right to access, access that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose depending on who you are and where you are, there is the reality that there is real inequity in terms of what's available to to all people, but to, to young people in, in this situation um, as well. Demographically speaking, is there any pattern that you notice in relation to what presents as teenage or underage pregnancy in the country. Here's why I'm asking this question before I might be in any way interpreted as being irresponsible with the question. Socioeconomic power tends to have certain socioeconomic benefits or socioeconomic access tends to have socioeconomic benefits that are consistent with that. And the opposite is true. If one is outside of the mainstream or one has got limited leverage, then one tends to see parts of or the majority of the country or that society's social problems manifested there because purely of being on the margins of whatever would in that context be the mainstream. If it's information, if it's information, if it's economic power, it's that, or access to spaces of development, be it education to healthcare and the like. Mm. What would the demographic patterns indicate in the South African setup. For instance, I've had a similar conversation where we talk about why this is especially pronounced in the Northern Cape and presents with alcohol fetal syndrome or fetal alcohol mm. syndrome because of the structure of the economy in those far-flung areas that are isolated from mainstream centers of education, of information, of access to economic participation. And as a result, also legacies of the papgeld um, payment method in, in those farming communities. So it will present disproportionately higher in the Northern Cape and parts of the Western Cape than, say, typically parts of Gauteng or KwaZulu-Natal for those obvious reasons. Is there something else that you might share in terms of how the demographics of this entire picture present? You know, it's a very, I think, important um Thing to think about and to consider. For me, as a psychiatrist, I'm not sure that I, um, I don't know that I'm, I'm, I, I would be particularly qualified to comment on that across the country. I don't know except that I no, would, would, would be, able, be able to give you any kind of um, 
maybe evidence-based is not the right word, but um, I wouldn't like to sort of stray outside of what I think is my, my area of expertise. No, fair But enough. I think such important conversations and the things you raise are things that, again, have a profound impact on mental health. So while I may not be able to explain or, or give you an idea of those exact demographics, again, these things that you mentioned, alcohol, the impact on, you, you know, this is something addictions and alcohol misuse, something that we deal with in mental health care, um, and again, we know that in terms of the, the health and development of the, the, the baby, um, it has an impact there as well. So very, very important things for us all to be thinking and speaking more about, I think. Let's get back then rather to the more clinically inclined questions, specifically when you talk about the mental health considerations. Are the conversations at home taking place? Is there enough guidance, counselling? With that, I might also be inclined to incorporate the school curriculum in the formal sense of life orientation and adult-child conversations that if they're awkward in the home, they are taking place Mm -hmm. at school or whatever is the conversation at school, it is reinforced in the home so as to destigmatize these conversations, one, but also assist in picking up abnormalities from a healthcare perspective early on. Because we are also seeing in this day and age an increasing number of teenage suicides for a host of reasons. This would certainly be one of those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I guess if we look at our, our school curricula, I imagine that on paper, in, in school curricula, it's there. Um, how it's being presented and, um, and discussed, I suppose, again, it may differ from from place to place, and there may be some people who are accessing better quality um, information than others, which is, is important, which is unfortunate that there is that disparity. And similarly, in the home, you know, there may be all sorts of reasons that parents and families shy away from having what are perhaps difficult and awkward conversations with their teens. But I think that's what we'd really like to try and put on the agenda to try and raise awareness of how important it is. Um, because the consequences, if we aren't engaging in those discussions and aren't equipping our teams, are so significant in many ways. But as I said, for, for me as a psychiatrist, particularly what we see is in terms of the impact on, on mental health. But I mean, even culturally, I'm, and I'm really inviting you now to perhaps even be crude. I mean, there, there, there might be cultural patterns here which unfortunately are no longer servicing the broader social goals. For instance, this is not a conversation, sex, that is, sex, teenage pregnancy, boys, girls, inviting boys over to the girl's home where the parents are there or the girl visiting the boy where the parents of the boy are there. This is not something which is commonplace in, in African homes. Certainly it isn't true for where I perhaps might be moving around. And I don't imagine I'm an Mm -hmm. exception to this rule generally. And I'm speaking Mm -hmm. to what I know. It may be true elsewhere as well. I don't know. But culturally, are there such dynamics that have an impact that present as the kind of healthcare issue that we're talking about? Yeah, look, I think those cultural factors are very relevant. But why I think these figures, these stats are important is because what it highlights is even if it's not overtly happening or this is not people's cultural practice or how people might live in, in their homes, it's happening. You know, young people yeah. are having unprotected sex and falling pregnant. And so I think the, the figures that, that you present at the beginning of this conversation are so important to highlight to people because I think if we're not looking at it, we really, you know, we, we're in denial about the, the problem. So although it might be difficult and really go against what people perhaps have been used to, 
um, they're important conversations to have. And I think not just the conversations, but when we're then looking at actual teenage pregnancies and um, the, the journey thereafter, I think sort of this intergenerational support um, is important, both in terms of identifying, you know, in the home, that's where one might start to observe some of these symptoms we're talking about. So it's not just about empowering young people to know about them so they look out for them, but also for the older generations to be aware that this is, is real and has potentially serious consequences, as you've highlighted with you know, teenage suicide, so that um, we are looking out for, for signs and can then try and access whatever might be available to that person in terms of support. As a practitioner and as a stakeholder, for instance, in the context of the socioeconomic issues here, who are your partners in this scourge of teenage and underage pregnancy so that we can perhaps consider who the role players are in mitigating what presents as unplanned pregnancy? Yeah, look, I mean, I think the... the, the if we're looking at a partnership, definitely the education system. I mean, we need to find a way to engage families. There needs to be provision of services in terms of actual healthcare services for um, people to access. Um, I think that those, you know, perhaps the healthcare services and the education services are, are where young people are, are at their needs. And, um, and maybe some more collaboration there would be important. But I think the first step is just generally raising awareness amongst people and communities. And I think mental health is often um, you know, lowest on the list in terms of considerations when it comes to health care provision. But I think we're all moving towards this understanding that there's no health without mental health. And so I think this needs to be put on the agenda in terms of what we think about when we're thinking about the impact um, of, of teenage pregnancy. Management postpartum management of the health of the young girl especially but also of the young boy to the extent that he has owned up because unfortunately there's also that unfortunate reality that this is more of a young girl's problem than it is of the young people who were party to the unplanned pregnancy how do we as a society re-engage that young person who more than anything and anyone else is the one who has had to face herself, looking at oneself in the mirror, knowing the blunder that one would have been party to through this unplanned pregnancy and as a result punishes oneself probably disproportionately to the actual offense before society gets involved. How to reintegrate that person into the development space that her age is at and his age is at? Yeah, I think it's very difficult because it really requires a lot of external support. And um, I suppose the first thing in terms of the postpartum journey is, as I said earlier, making sure that our health services are adolescent friendly. Um, I think this, as you say, is a lot of self-flagellation that might go on uh, for a young person who's found themselves in this position. So what we want are health services that are not further going to judge and stigmatize, but that are open to, to meeting young people with empathy and support um, who are equipped for our health practitioners at, at primary health level need to be equipped to look out for signs and symptoms of mental illness so that there can be early identification because these things are in terms of, of 
the actual mental illness are treatable, although we know that there are also psychosocial factors that we, we often don't have as much control over. But if at that point other people in this young person's life can be engaged to support them, um, what one hopes is that it doesn't disrupt their path entirely in terms of things like education and future employment um, because of, of, of the fact that they are, have now become a parent at a time when they, they perhaps were still requiring parenting themselves. What should be the takeout from this conversation and from Pregnancy Week 6 to 10 February as we are engaging in the alarming rise in teenage pregnancy? So, I mean, although this conversation has been around teenage pregnancy, I think I would always like to really, really just highlight the the, the increased rates of mental illness in the, the, the pregnancy and postpartum period. So for all women listening to this, even if you are in not teenage pregnancy, not an adolescent, um, to be really very um, mindful of mental health during pregnancy and postpartum, uh, both the impact on the mum and, as I said earlier, the, the impact on the, the infant um, because of the future consequences, and so really raising awareness so that we can all start to have these conversations and, and not, um, you know, as you said earlier, touch shy away from them because they, they can speak for themselves. This is a very real problem. Um, and I think that early identification and attempting to look at how we support people um, to access help uh, is the message I'd like to give. Is there scope to engage in, I wouldn't quite say the blame game, but in the apportionment of fault? Because it actually isn't the fault always of the girl or of the underage person in this conversation. Can we have a conversation as to those who are to share the responsibility of this social challenge? Yeah, look, I think, you know, perhaps the elephant in the room here, particularly in South Africa, is you can't really have this conversation without conversations about gender-based violence and consent, because when we're talking about teenage pregnancy, some of the young women are actually below the age of consent. So there is, you know, I think rather than them being judged and stigmatized, we need to look at this person as somebody who, who really does need um, care and support. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's answering your question. No, no, no. I, I was minded to ask that question because one of the comments here says this thing of teen pregnancy, I can also blame it on the adult or men. Older men have this tendency of manipulating young girls and leave their wives yeah. at home to entertain themselves with vulnerable yeah. kids and then they're going to impregnate them and that leads to the suicidal decisions that takes place from these kids. So really... um whilst you would be sitting and engaging a young person who obviously is feeling the weight of the decision that is an unplanned pregnancy, who you don't have in the room is that irresponsible adult, mm. which is oftentimes one who has created this mess for this young person and has created these consequences, more particularly from the maternal family's perspective. Final yes, comment. absolutely. Absolutely. And I suppose what's difficult as healthcare practitioners is I think we, we see that and that is a large part of the problem, but one that we have so much less control over. And I suppose conversations like these, you're appealing to people's sense of you know, doing what's right, but we know that human beings don't always do that. Um, and so I think certainly from a healthcare perspective, you don't always have the opportunity to, to engage. You're, you're sort of dealing with the problem after the fact. Um, but as a society, we, we, we need to be looking at um, those sorts of dynamics that, that occur uh, in terms of exploitation of, of young women 
and, and I guess calling it out when we see it in our own uh, communities and our own families and our own lives. Yeah, well, thank you so much for your time there, Dr. Nez Daniels, member of the South African Society of Psychiatrists. This week, indeed, is Pregnancy Week, and specifically focusing in the alarming, alarming rate of teenage pregnancy. All well, you were part of t- to this conversation. As long as wherever you are, you're doing your bit and your best to ensure that in South Africa we don't have the kinds of problems we were talking about persisting. We'll play out with a voice note to end this particular segment.